Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, WYSIWYG is a term you don't hear much anymore, but it was once used pretty freely to describe a great advance in software and technology. It's an acronym for what you see is what you get. And it referred to a really welcome development that, that meant that what you put into a document or file of some sort and saw on your computer was actually what would come out when it was printed or shared in some other way. Those of us who remember what it was like in an earlier era are familiar with the, the steep learning curve with various programs or pieces of equipment. The, the difficulty in learning how to make sure with each one of these things, how to make sure that what you put in was also going to be what you got out. To make sure your, what you had to do with your input to get the output you desired. Now you could argue that what you see is what you get is a value that is very typical of our American culture. Ever since we abolished aristocratic titles and such when we cut ties with Great Britain, we have tended to judge harshly anyone who, who puts on airs and pretends to be something that he or she is not. Countless politicians have, have promoted themselves as men and women of the people, or just plain old Joes. And when they get caught assuming or asserting all sorts of privileges or acting with condescension, condescension looking down on the common people, well, it often goes poorly for them. But of course, what we say that we value for other people people, or people in general, is often very different from what we think is right for ourselves. Advice like, fake it till you make it, or dress for the job you want, not the job you have, and all sorts of training schools and programs are all intended to help us present ourselves as something that we never were and lift us up above others. And of course, in this modern age, Instagram and other social media specialize in the carefully curated public image, an image that often bears little resemblance to the reality of who the poster really is. And that's not even including the lies we tell ourselves about who we are and what we're like, about what we really mean when we say something and what our intentions truly are. When you are telling a friend or replaying in your head that awful thing that your spouse just did, you, you usually pretend that your own words, tone, expression, or actions could not possibly in any way have provoked that response from him or her. When you're competing for a promotion, you rarely think that you are unqualified or undeserving, even if your main interest in the job is really just the title or the raise. And how about the way we justify things like 
speeding, or the way we rationalize doing what we want when we know it might or even will hurt another person, and yet we still think of ourselves as good or nice. Our hearts, as sinful human beings, are far too frequently full of pretense. Now, the portion of the Passion history that we read this evening is chock full of examples of this. Pretense is defined as an attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. And it is naturally related to the word pretend. But as we see it here, there is no kind of imaginary play or mere acting involved. We can start with Christ's enemies among the chief priests and elders of the people, God's people, the Jews. Last week we saw the the travesty of a trial that they staged, and today we heard about their decision to to put Jesus to death, and then their attempt to, to convince Pilate that their Messiah was actually a dangerous criminal deserving death. And all throughout they kept up the pretense that they were the ones acting for the good of the people, that they were the ones who truly feared and served the Lord, that they had the truth on their side, when in fact they were motivated by envy and pride. They served only their own interests, and they deliberately set aside the law of the Lord to achieve their goals, and they lied at every turn. When Judas tried to return the money that they had paid him to betray his master, the the chief priests pretended that suddenly they, they had a righteous distaste for what those 30 pieces of silver represented. And somehow they and the elders also convinced themselves later that that agitating for the release of an actual murderer was the right and honorable thing to do if it could help them arrange the murder of an absolutely innocent man that they found inconvenient. We also heard tonight about the consequences of pretense when it is pulled away and reality rushes in. Judas had previously presented himself as a loyal friend, and he used that to arrange Christ's betrayal. But but he had apparently also pretended to himself, if not to others, that since he knew Jesus was so powerful and innocent, that, well, then nothing truly or permanently bad would come from turning him over to his enemies. And when that bubble was burst, as Jesus submitted to injustice and suffering, Judas fell into despair and ended up killing himself. And then there's Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, who pretended that Barabbas or Jesus was a reasonable choice to put to the people when he really just wanted to to punt his responsibility to execute justice. And he also pretended that a symbolic washing of his hands could actually absolve him of his fault in miscarrying justice so severely. And the crowd, 
which knew better because Christ himself had walked among them, well, they put forth the pretense that Jesus was deserving of death and Barabbas was not. And then they fooled themselves into thinking that accepting the blame for his blood was no big deal. Now, much as we would like to, we cannot point to any of those examples, those awful examples, and say, I would never do anything like that. Because we have done, we do, and we will again do things like that. We present ourselves as one thing to the world and show another, much less attractive thing to our spouses and families. We turn our backs on our Savior, following our own desires, and and tell ourselves that everything will still turn out fine. But sin and rebellion always have a cost. We approach politics and argue that we are only interested in what is best for the community and the country, when in fact we're only thinking of what's best for us. And of course there is the biggest pretense of all, when we act as though, or even say, that it's other people who are the sinners needing forgiveness, and that God is certainly okay with everything that we do and everything that we are. Maybe, maybe we'll still admit that we were sinners, but that was, that was long ago. John addresses this in his first letter. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. What a contrast we see then in Jesus. Where we have pretense in our hearts, he has clarity. He wears no masks, engages in no subterfuge, hides nothing about himself, and never pretends to be anything he is not. He is pure, transparent, and certain. He makes no attempts to deceive, neither others nor himself, and there is nothing unclear or indefinite about his identity or his purpose. We see this throughout the Gospels, but our reading today from John 12 gives a particularly good example. Jesus speaks clearly about who he is and what is going to happen to him. He calls himself by a messianic title, Son of Man, but he also addresses God as his Father, and the Father answers him from heaven publicly. And the crowd nearby pretends that this voice they heard answering Christ's prayer is only thunder or perhaps an angel. So he is clear about his identity. He is the Son of God, come to earth to be the Christ, the Savior of the world. And he is just as clear about what comes next, just days away. He will be lifted up on a cross to die, and the light that he brings to the world will go away. This was necessary 
and prophesied so that those few who believed in him would have their sins paid for with his sacrificial death and gain eternal life with his resurrection. He knew that very soon he would be betrayed, mocked, falsely convicted, scourged, tortured, bled, abused, and nailed to a criminal's cross. And all of that with him bearing the immeasurable weight of all the world's sins. And all of that with him being forsaken by his father left alone without that love, suffering the torment of hell. And yet, and still, he went on. Still, he submitted. This was the reason he had come to that hour. He was clear about who he was and what he had come to do. Save sinners like you and me. Save us even when we pretend we don't need saving. Even when we present ourselves as perfect or rationalize our wrongdoing. And so we rejoice that our hearts full of pretense are met not by the heart of a maybe Messiah or a a great moral teacher tragically overtaken by events, but are met by the heart of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, full of clarity about what he came to do. The blood that he was so soon to shed washed away our guilt. The life that he was so soon to give up would both satisfy God's wrath against our rebellion and destroy every threat, power, and fear of death, hell, and the devil. And the resurrection that was three days beyond his crucifixion would be our guarantee of eternal life and righteousness just like his. Because when we put our trust in him, we are given His righteousness to be our own. This is what happens when the Lord's heart meets our heart. What Christ was so clear about in grace delivering us from every evil becomes ours through faith. Jesus does everything that is needed to save us and everything we need God gives us what we see in Christ is what we get. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.